Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Kara Oppenheimer. Kara is the co-founder of Goodbye, the easy button for conscious shopping. Goodbye is a browser extension that intercepts all of your mega retailer shopping and diverts you to thousands of small businesses that align with your values. Before pursuing life as an entrepreneur, Kara lived the agency life for 17 years as a creative director, managing, building, and directing the vision for creative teams and Fortune 100 brands. Over the years she spent in the agency world, Kara learned a lot about what it meant to be a brand that lived its values, and unfortunately, on occasion, what it meant when a brand did not. So with those incredible learnings in her repertoire and a deep, long-standing desire to build something of her own, Kara started in on her second life, Building Goodbye. Kara is a Canadian born and raised, mom of two boys under four, and a believer in ordering one of everything off the menu. Welcome, Kara. So good to see you. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Of course. Okay. I'm hitting you with some rapid fire to kick it off. Um, I love your website. I loved preparing for this and spending time on it. And I'm curious, I'm sure you're a consumer like me. Is there a favorite store or department store where you love to shop? I know you're promoting, I know you're promoting small business, but I'm curious, where do you, where do you, we're going to go kind of two parts here. So small business wise, I have an obsession with Slowdown Studio. Okay. They are like an, art-centric, unique items for the house, um, really beautiful, like hand-stitched, um, like dra- kind of uh, blankets and drapery. Anyway, I- I'm just obsessed with their feet. I'm obsessed with their branding and I'm constantly buying gifts from there. So from a small business standpoint, slow down studio. And then I have to give a you know, giant pat on the back to like my history as a Canadian. I am like an Aritzia addict and I'm constantly actually using our tool now on, on our tool to find alternatives sometimes to Aritzia because I love their brand and I love that they just know their customer and are constantly serving me who I'm a well, their puffer. Customer. Do you have the puffer? They're like puffer jacket? I've got like a million, honestly. I'm, I live in, in Boise now. I'm Canadian born and raised. And so I've got all sorts of variations on thickness and weight of puffer jackets. So I've got the duvet nice. coat. Every duvet color. Coat. That's I'm, awesome. I'm all of five foot two. So the duvet coat swallows me alive, and from the back, it doesn't look like I'm a person. It's just you're like walking in a walking mm-hmm. in a sleeping bag. I love it. Okay, yeah, exactly. what's what's your dessert of choice, or like someone's making you a cake or something for your birthday? What are you gonna have? I'd say key lime pie or any other oh. variation of a pie. I love like acidic things in food. Oh, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. so that we would be good together because that would make me not eat dessert. <laughs> Whenever someone's like, you know, chocolate and peanut butter, I'm like, okay, yum and and pie. Honestly, I I don't discriminate on desserts. I have to say like, there are like very few desserts I don't eat. And everyone here at the office knows I eat dessert after breakfast and I eat dessert after lunch. It's kind of like, I was too. Lucky you. I wish I could do that. Okay. What's your number one bucket list place to ski that you've either been to or, or want to go to? Oh, so you knew I was a skier. Um, 
I would say probably like Swiss Alps, do something really interesting, go somewhere in Europe. I haven't done the European ski thing and I would love to do that, but I'm Canadian. So I've done all of this sort of West Coast, Canada ski stuff. Yeah. What are words of advice that you would give to your younger self? Mm, Listen to my gut. I have, um, I know it's so cliche and I hate even saying it out loud, but I just feel like my superpower is my own intuition, you know, and my own like that little inner voice. And I wish I listened to it sooner and I wish I listened to it more like steadfast. I wish every moment that it told me something that I didn't waver. What's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, um, I think everyone in the office could answer this one too. This is like a little heady pet peeve, but uh, seeing people being bullied or people without like um, the ability to stand up for themselves or I'm the best way I can explain this is I'm a, I'm the random bystander who, if you filmed me on like, what would you do would jump a counter to help somebody being harassed. I cannot stand it. I'm very vocal in those environments. And a big pet peeve is when um, people are rude to other people for no reason. I mean, last week I went up to a sales clerk who was being harassed by somebody and I listened to it happen and I tried to get him away from her and walked up to the woman and apologized for his behavior because I can't awesome. stand that stuff. I can't so You're setting stand a it. good example for your kids. That's great. What is the first thing that you like to do when you wake up? Um, as long as my kid hasn't screamed to wake me up, because that's my life these days. I have an 18 month old or now a 19 month old and a four year old. So most of the time, that's my least favorite way to wake up, but it's how I wake up is them, is them yeah. um, kind of sounding the alarm. But uh, favorite thing to do when I wake up, I'm a tea drinker. So walk right over to my kettle, turn that on. I want to be a there. tea drinker. So who, who in your life do you most admire? Oh, I've that's got a, a lot. One. It's a really tough one, but you know what? I just have to, this is going to sound cheesy, but my co-founder, I feel like it's the reason we started a business together. We're very different people, but have found this like kismet relationship together, Um, you know, vulnerable with each other and constantly learning. And the way she handles her relationships in life is incredible. You know, I have obviously the, the other answers of, you know, watching my dad be creative and my mom be such like a best friend to me growing up were also wonderful, but relevant to me right now. I think. I love that. I saw on your website in my life. I saw like, I'm in a really, we're in a relationship together, but married to other people. (laughs) That was adorable. Um, So you talked about Canada a few times. What does it mean to you to be Canadian? Because my friends who are Canadian are very proud. What what words, I I guess, what anchors you in that um, culturally? You know, it's tricky because I have this, like, I feel when someone says what makes you who you are, it's oftentimes like Canadian and Jewish. Those two kind of like come up for me and it's not about religion and it's not actually about location. It is about how those two things represent the culture inside of me and what's important to me and how I engage with others. And I've learned after almost 20 years in, in the States to stop saying sorry for everything. And I know it's like a silly thing, but us Canadians, we definitely still do that. And I'm still biting my tongue all the time to stop them apologizing. But I, I think I think it's just a focus. Like I think about like Canada having family day on the calendar, you know, and knowing that a focus on family is important. They're not a perfect country either, but I felt like I really valued my childhood there. You know, I really valued the emphasis that it placed on people and how we treat each other and community. And 
that's the same with my Jewish culture, you know, yeah. growing Where up in a Jewish community. So I am from, this is a little bit, I'm going to give you the, the sidestep routine, but I was born um, in Winnipeg, Manitoba. It's kind of like in the center of Canada. I lived there till I was eight, moved over to Vancouver, made a lot of friends there for a couple of years and lived in Vancouver with my family. And then we kind of set up roots in Calgary, Alberta. Um, which is kind of just in the Rockies um, and just over from British Columbia. So I grew up all the way through university um, in Calgary. Uh, mm-hmm. so and I, I know you, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's awesome. I know that you got a degree in college. I'm kind of skipping ahead and I want to get back to childhood, yeah. but you got a degree in design, visual communication yep. and advertising, like a big whole lot. Were you yeah. always like, at what age did you realize you had kind of a creative eye? Like birth. I did, this has been, um, it's the most fun thing for me to talk about. Honestly, I just feel like I light up thinking about creativity and using creativity to solve simple problems, complex problems, societal dynamic. That's been the progression of my life has been, you know, from, I'd say as soon as I had cognitive ability, my mom kind of tells me stories of like how I express myself through dance, which was a big, important part of my life. And, you know, at, in sixth grade, I made a bubble gum machine because there, why should anybody have bubble gum just out of a bag? I created like a little Rube Goldberg machine that I brought to school. It was for my friends. In in uh, 10th grade, I built a business that I called, and it's embarrassing to even say it out loud, but Iced Couture. And I had oh. business cards where I custom built like Swarovski earrings for people's grads or prom dresses, as you call it here. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I built a, a sweatsuit kind of like printed sweat brand when I was teaching kind of hip hop dance in Canada. So uh, creativity, expression of creativity, creativity in my whole life has been central to my being. It's yeah. my, it's my every day with my kids. When I write a note for school, it's what lights me up, you know, and it's what lit me up through my whole career is like taking a complex problem or not even a complex problem, just something that needs to be solved and applying like a really unique element or creative element to it. I even like my bedrooms growing up, I had a Willy Wonka theme room. My dad was like, oh God, luckily he had a furniture store. So I was able to constantly shift, but I had an African theme room where my mom (laughs) refused to go in because I had plants everywhere and you could barely walk in the room. So I had that. I had lickable wallpaper because I put those little like candy things on the wall. Oh, you're into it. So being a a creative sometimes is... um, almost at odds with being strong as far as your business mind. Um, Is that something you've had to hone or is that also something that's pretty natural to you? Because it's amazing. Like talk about a triple threat when you find somebody who's really strong, both creatively and has um, an ability to think like a business owner. I think I feel lucky that I've had, I think I've, I've fine tuned it over time, but the, application of like business use cases to my creativity has like I mentioned been inherent like if I'm going to build this what can, what else can I get out of it and so the answer to your question is is pretty simple that I have felt inside of me both of those things the execution piece you know I the execution piece as well as the the creativity piece and when I first started my career I kind of cold called. I came from Canada. I really wanted to live in LA. I was a dancer. I'm like, oh, I'll do music videos mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll work in advertising. And I got the advertising job pretty quick by kind of going around to a bunch of agencies, but I was hired as a designer, you know, when I first started, um, but very quickly they realized that I could handle 
the actual project management side as well. So in my internship, I went from an intern to designer slash project manager for an account at the agency I was at. And I was 21. Right oh, out wow. Of school. That's amazing. So, did, so was, it a, how... was it a given um, that A, you were going to go to college and B, that you were going to stay in Canada? I don't know anything about Alberta College. Um, totally. How, do you, so, how did you go about making that decision? It's a, kind of a funny story. So it wasn't a given I was going to go to college. My parents were great about like, you're so creative. We thought I was going to be a professional dancer. I was getting all sorts of accolades for choreography and for things that, you know, was what made me me. Yeah, dance was like the central part of my life. I went down to the U.S. I'm sharing the story. Was dancing at this studio called Edge um, with my mom and I was 19 basically just out of high school and just like trying to feel it out. Do I want to go to college? What do I want to do? And I knew I wanted to be in LA regardless of pre-college, after college. I'd been there so much for dance. I was in a dance class. The teacher came up to me after and said, I want you to audition for Missy Elliott video after this. That was my dream. Literally my dream. I thought I was having like an out-of-body experience. And yeah. I came to talk to my mom and long story short was like, bring your papers. I'm like, what are papers? meaning papers that you can work in this country. Um, so I couldn't go to the audition without papers. And so it immediately set through for me, what do I need to do to do that? And immediately I realized it was gonna be hard to get papers without education, without an education. And luckily my smart ass mom, um, classic Jewish Yenta had already sent in an application for school for me, just in case. <laughs> so oh, I came that's back, awesome. I swear to God, <laughs> I came back, um, went to the University of Calgary, which is a great program, kind of was dabbling and trying to see what I want to do and then ultimately applied to the um, degree program which I went to which is much more like 40 people in my class there's a portfolio application process to get in I was already very into art and drawing and so decided I wanted to you know go into advertising and really kind of hone that skill through those four years of school um, so the degree I have is in visual communications major with a minor in advertising and then while I did that I was successful in it, like got student awards and some publications and was like, I'm going to go to LA now and become an, an advertising person, you know, work, work in agencies. I got the bug. And so, yeah, that's how I got here. And so what was the interview process like, or the, the, um, the process of kind of, how do you find a job? You went right to LA, got, um, got your first job out of college. How did yeah, you get the papers? I'm, did they sponsor you? Like, how does that even work? So yeah, this is funny. I am, uh, if someone used one word to describe me, it'd probably be like tenacious. Like I'm a bulldog when it comes to getting what I want in any scenario, whether that's good or bad for the people around me. But um, I try and do it with, with class every time. But this one, I built a list of agencies. I printed out my portfolio um, and I flew to LA with my family. And I'm privileged enough that they were able to, you know, pay for that flight and take me down there and rent a car. And we spent a week looking at my list and they just would drop me off and I go in and drop my portfolio and cold call and I went to about I think 40 something agencies um, and I got a call from one of them which became almost 10 years of my life after that they wanted yeah, me that was the Jack Morton <laughs> exactly so I worked as a, I worked my way up into being a creative director at Jack Morton which is a large-scale brand experience agency so um, they sponsored my um, sort of temporary visa. I convinced them to do that. I don't know how I did that as an intern, knowing now that I've hired interns and it would be really tough for me oh, to be yeah. convinced to do that. And things have but changed. They, things have changed for things sure. Things have changed. Yeah. They brought in their legal and, you know, we got things sorted and I had a series of sponsorships over the last, you know, 17 years. And that was the career I was in until June of this year, July of this year. So, yeah. So you worked in creative um, Jack Morton and then XD agency. What is that like um, for people who don't know? 
what is a job of a creative director in that agency? What does that person do? So first I'll clarify. So I'm, I was very, when I got out of school, I graduated with an advertising degree, but I very quickly found a niche in what was a, an, emer- I didn't know it yet, but an emerging kind of advertising called brand experience. And so Jack Morton and XDA, which are the agencies that I worked at for 17 years and managed creative teams at, function exactly like a traditional ad agency, but they do, and, and I worked on non-traditional Um, advertising. So essentially engaging humans in live environments, massive scale, you know, it can be anything from a conference all the way to, you know, digital campaigns to immersive pop-up experiences to the tangible um, brand experiences that make people feel something, you know, that, that instigate goosebumps. So really connecting with humans in a way that wasn't just a print ad or a voice piece. I had to learn about how to do all these things, how to communicate you know, in a creative way, but having sort of like one shot to do it, one moment in time, one temporary mm. exhibit. And it's an, it's a fascinating career. It's exhausting. It's like the events industry, but for well, I was about so. to say, it sounds like the events industry where there's exactly. not just the creative, but then you've got to just hope that all the logistics come in, like come in place at the same and time. And of course it's and not just you and so your own. vulnerable. Yes. It's so vulnerable. It is, like I said, it was the perfect place for me because I was logistics in my mind meets creativity. And so I love. Oh, loved... I can't even imagine that. I would be too anxious. I love like throwing events and being at events. But if I felt like I could see people's faces and I felt like everything was riding on. Yes. Do they, are they getting Pressure. the goosebumps? Are they feeling what I'm feeling? I remember having this moment of kind of aha, I love this idea. Does it resonate? Like that would be super stressful. It's a lot and you grow a thick skin. And I honestly think people that have this career, the people that are still my cohorts working in those, you know, those companies and other companies that do the same thing. Like it is a very, very tough job and you need to be able to almost like thrive in chaos because no matter what you do, the situations end up chaotic and there's incredible producers involved and account people managing brands. But I learned so much. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it. And talk about getting you equipped to do what you're doing now with goodbye was that was goodbye something that you thought of or did you meet your um your co-founder and you guys came up with it together like tell me about the origin yeah. story okay you, that's so, my favorite part of this yeah, whole podcast so like the it. whole reason why I started it I love these parts so you you segued perfectly so fast forward through 17 years of managing creative teams you know account teams I was still working at my job when we came up with goodbye so Carrie and I had our two children together. We both have two children the exact same age, both about, you know, hers, well, our set, our youngest ones are about two, oldest ones about four. And uh, we met when we both moved back to Boise um, with our husbands and ran into each other at a daycare. There was an extreme lack of diversity at the daycare. I made a comment, her husband made a comment to the people there, and then we bonded over it and decided not to go to the daycare, but to exchange numbers. Long story short, Carrie and I had our first children um, about 24 hours apart in the hospital, like a literal high five um, in the hospital as one exited and the other came in. And you can imagine being a mom yourself, what breastfeeding, um, you know, a child and being on maternity leave together looks like when you're blocks away from each other's home. So we cried together, we bonded together, we were half naked in a room, you know, breastfeeding our children together. We know what that looks like, you know, as, as a mom and just became like fused as humans and just realized um, 
the synchronicity we had with our families and how much we loved each other on, you know, the family side, but also on this entrepreneurial side. We both, I was working, you know, managing a creative team at the business I was doing, applying my creativity to creativity to brands. She was um, running her own company around um, new minimalism. It's called, she wrote a book, you know, was really speaking about like consumption and intentional consumption and all these worlds were just merging. And we kept toying with these ideas together about like, can we do a kid's consignment thing? Like, no, and it had to feel right. And we had these ideas that were good, but they weren't quite nailing it. And I was breastfeeding my son. This was in February of 2021. And I woke up at about four in the morning as I was breastfeeding him, like all good ideas happen and was like, holy shit. And I text Carrie uh, while I was holding him and holding my phone. And I said, what if we create a browser extension like Honey that intercepts all of your reflexive online shopping habits you're on Amazon, you're on Target, you're on anywhere you usually shop and pops up with the same exact product or similar, maybe even better from a small business aligned with your values. And that's kind of similar to the brand language we use now. It's, I have the text, we have it in a founder's See, I have chills from that. That gave me chills. That whole sentence, I'm like, I have chills and I want it and I need it immediately. Good. And that's what happened. And so you, you much felt like you felt like Carrie did. So I went to bed and I barely could sleep. I put him back in, in his crib, went to bed. And I was like, this is it. Like I knew, I, I my whole life have known that I wanted to do something like this, that took the creativity and merged it with societal dynamic and fixed, you know, challenges that our world has. I felt icky receiving Amazon boxes every day. I'm still shopping Amazon now occasionally because I need it. I've got diapers, but there are times in which we don't have to, but we're being forced to because they're not making it easy for us. And so anyway, derail, but Carrie opens up the text. I think it's 6 a.m. when kids normally wake up. And all it said was, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. I couldn't even like, I was scrolling. And she said, this is brilliant. We're building this together. And from that moment, I sent names through and then we did what we do best. I sent names through literally in that text. She was like, goodbye is brilliant. She checked. It had not been trademarked. And that's unbelievable. Carrie does what Carrie does best and started trademarking us, buying domains for us, looking into legal stuff. And then we begun, um, I'll shorten this timeline, but we got together while our kids were napping because we had, we, had, we had other jobs. There was a pandemic going on. There was a lot that we were dealing with, you know, trying not to get our kids sick. And so we were not in offices. Carrie would come over to my garage when my kid was napping on the weekend, we worked weekends and evenings and our husbands would hang out in the other house and we would write our investor deck. And we're like, we don't even know what we're solving it or how this works. And very quickly engage with our own networks and communities. I have a really good friend who is now our functioning CTO um, with Purpose Lab. They're an incredible company. His name's Andrew Skinner. I reached out to him and from our garage, Carrie and I pitched him the idea. And I said, is this possible? We're not technical co-founders, but I feel like it's possible, but I've never seen anyone build a browser extension that does this, that pops up with products. And the moment you're on big box, like how can we make it easy for people, you know, to find the exact product they need the moment they need it in a more conscious way. And in a way that introduces them to better brands. And he just in his deadpan way, sort of looked at us. He's got this sarcastic sense of humor and was like, um, we can do this, definitely. This is buildable and it's brilliant. And I wanna hang up the phone so I can talk to my partner and I think we want in. And it was just like, from then on, like, holy crap, he wants in. We don't even, we haven't even received investor funds. We haven't even thought about an investor 
plan about reaching out to investors. And this is where our story of speed comes in. So we started basically, um, we had finished our investor deck in the first week of June. Um, finished. And if you look at it now, it's an embarrassment. I can't even, I can't even peek it again. I'm sure most people feel that way, but we finished our investor deck in June and began pitching, I think June 8th and had fully committed our seed round within three weeks. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. And what was it about? Well, first of all, incredibly um, inspiring. I love the passion. I love the, I love the whole story so far, but most of the female founders that I speak to who have um, received funding have had a harder time being women. And sometimes when you're pitching a group of like, this is so cliche to say, but it's true, like a group of like white middle-aged men, which is typically like the VC community, it's the truth. they mm-hmm. oftentimes don't understand the problem that you're trying to solve because they're not the ones that you're targeting. Like women do most of the purchasing and women are the ones who are caring a little bit about the problem that you're solving probably more. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of an assumption to say these things, but this is just like broadly. Well, the, and the so what, what, how it. did you, how did you overcome that and raise so quickly? What was the special sauce? You know, I think it's all just guessing to tell you what that special sauce is. I think timing is one of them. The, the problem that we're solving, the product market fit, as we call it, product zeitgeist fit is really real during a pandemic when people felt like supporting, you know, a, a small local restaurant was heroic. We met that moment and that movement really quickly. And so I think the feeling that we all had about how to support conscious shopping, doing it in an easier way was in the ether beyond just women. So I think the timing was a huge thing. The other piece is what we've just talked about. I spent my entire life honing my pitch. You know, my career has been built on like catering a message to a group of white men, to be honest. You know, a lot of working in marketing is ending up in a room with a CMO who is a white dude, you know, and oftentimes very smart white dudes. And sometimes you get the bonus of of a woman in the room, but trying to own a room you know, as an agency who doesn't know as much about a brand as the brand themselves and own that room and sell them on the idea you're delivering. And so I felt like in the moment that we delivered this pitch to our institutional seed investors um, that I was like beyond ready. I don't get nervous about that stuff because it's, that's what I've been built to do. It's what I've been like honing my career to do. So I'm not, you know, saying we're the reason it happened, but I think timing mixed with like, pitching not always being something that a, that a um, that a founder's used to doing. I think it can be a nerve-wracking thing to right. do that. And so right. storytelling and pitching became at the center. And then I will say in that meeting, I called out our seed investors and said, listen, I'm sitting here in front of you as a woman where no women are invested in right now. I can tell the stats to you. You're two white men, as, as far as I can see, you know, what do you have to offer us? You know, do yeah, you have good people for you. in your community? Good and I for literally you. I love you. And, <laughs> and, and Mike, who uh, you've met before and is one of our investors, was like laughing and smiling at me as I was saying it, which is basically like, well, I'm going like, to call you, you know, out this room. When you see even just like on like Shark Tank or something, and it's oftentimes they're like, well, okay, this is awesome. Awesome. This is a great idea. We don't know if it can be like proof of concept. We have a lot of work ahead of us, but look at the kind of kahunas and look at this like little ball buster. <laughs> like look at this, this firecracker. I know that this person's going to go out there and the two of you sound like such a powerful force that even if you weren't, you know, had this incredible idea, but they, they're investing in you, right? At the end of the day, 
they are, they're investing in you. And to have the confidence to say that is like, this person's got it. Like, let's just go. That's incredible. And so how much have you raised? It's, I guess it's just still the seed round. Yes. So we closed our seed round. um, Like I said, um, and stage.o is, is our institutional seed investors and they've been an incredible partnership um, for us. We closed um, our seed round in early September. So again, speed is our story. We, I should, I should rephrase. We, we closed, meaning we had known what capital we were taking in at the end of June. And as you all know, it takes time to bring in checks and to work through all the, you know, the safes and, and all of that, that stuff, especially because we had turned into a company faster than we knew we would. Right. And we'd begun and I had to quit my job. And, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on in there. And so we begun working, Carrie and I began working on the company in July of last year. So less than six months ago um, and uh, closed the actual money and financing um, in early September. We had our waitlist launched in October. We launched our full product in December. Um, and we, so our full product was out basically the first of December around small business Saturday, um, which hopefully everybody that's listening will go and try because it's pretty incredible, um, for a first product. And I've been shopping entirely differently since then. So we closed that, um, round and then we actually met our milestones. We had a milestone set with our investors. We met our milestone, what is now five to six months ahead of what we were supposed to based on user acquisition and number of users. So, um, yeah, we're just flying and I you are don't off speed. to the races. I love it. What's the business the model? Exactly. Like, how are you going to so, make money? It's affiliate commission. So okay. it's actually pretty easy. I'll explain it just in layman's terms in case some of those listeners are your daughter or people who aren't <laughs> in the industry or, you know, anybody uh, trying to figure out what we do. But essentially, we are trying to create visibility for small business and their products you know, and be able to have those products easily accessible. All those businesses have their own e-commerce stores. Those e-commerce stores express their own individuality, their own independence. We have like sort of washed out all of our e-commerce stores, you know, remove the humans from them. So we're trying to create this sort of funnel everybody over there. And so what Goodbye is, is essentially just, it's a search engine of the largest search engine ever, small businesses in one place and all their products. So that's 183,000 small businesses that we have, 19 million products. There are no other search engines that exist that are this broad that allow you to see them as quickly as your product need. So the way that you would go to Amazon and search, you know, a, a, a bud vase, you'll just type it into Amazon and it pops up for us. And so when it pops up, so when our tool does pop up or when you're visiting our future um, in a couple of months, we'll have a mobile version searchable of our tool where you can kind of toggle your values. When a product pops up, you're actually seeing the product listing inside of our tool, but from that individual store. So as you're scrolling through, instead of on Amazon, when you see something, it's they're forced to conform to Amazon standards. And then they're forced to give a lot of their, their revenue up to Amazon, you know, to be a part of Amazon's network. You know, they get the visibility, but they're getting a lot of their revenue taken out and it all looks the same to you. They right? also can it's, get really screwed. I have some friends who sell as um, on Amazon and if they get like one bad review for one bad thing, exactly, Amazon can like kick them off. It's like, it's a terrible uh, it's partnership. Awful. It's not and in it's favor not of treating, the small business. Yeah, at all. It's not in favor of the small business. Even when they say they have small businesses, they're not supporting them. And I think that's the trickiest part is looking, we're not here to shame anybody for using Amazon. Again, I still use it sometimes, but there's so many other ways we can make it easier to shop better, shop cooler, shop more diverse, support the people you want. And so just to get back, I'm tangenting, but just to get back to when that 
product list comes and you're scrolling through these, oh, that's a cool chunky boot I'd rather have or a cool bud vase. When you click on that store, that, that product, it just goes right to that store. So we're kind of a broker between your search results because you would never have seen these businesses before installing Goodbye or before visiting Goodbye. You'd never would have. They would have been on page 25 of your search mm -hmm. results. You would have seen Crate and Barrel Bud Bays instead of seeing Slow Down Studio Bud Bays. Mm -hmm. And so this, the search tool pops it up for you. You click over and we go right to the store. And then if you buy it on the store, the store now has a, a sale they would never have had before because that person would have bought from Crate and Barrel. And we now have a commission. Um, and that's how our business that's survives. Amazing. So it's an affiliate commission, the pass through. The way I like to explain it too is just like, um, we're like a broker, like the friend you'd go to, a trusted friend who would say like, where do I go to like support a black owned business that sells like, you know, vases? Yeah. You know, we do the search quickly and use technology to do that. So who, so you've obviously got this badass CTO, you've got the two of you. And to me, the biggest gap or the biggest challenge if I was trying to solve this problem would be like, okay, how do you get customers to even know oh about because I mean you yeah. get hit by so many different businesses they all kind of blend together how yes. do I find out about goodbye if I'm a consumer and then how do I find out about goodbye if I'm a small business like I mean do you have like a sales team like cold calling everybody all these small businesses like who so it's how does that okay, happen so this is this is I mean it's the most loaded question for our business so it's it seems really question. hard to crack like what a hard problem to solve so we're, we have a steady, exciting growth in user acquisition. You know, we are, I think the best way to explain this because it's two parts, we're a two-sided marketplace, right? We've got the retailer part, which is acquiring, building relationships, building rapport with the diverse owner identities, with the diverse businesses, the diverse categories that we offer, you know, and building that up, right? So we've got that side of the business, which is this whole beast in itself. We've got the other side, which is our focus right now. And the focus is on customer acquisition and building up our users so that we can say to them, this tool exists. It's important in your new shopping behaviors. It's worth downloading. It's worth engaging, you know, and that is where our focus is. So to answer your question, in the short term, our focus is on customer acquisition from a business model standpoint and from a ensuring that the dollars and investment for our business go further. We are focused on our hires being inside of brand building and marketing, um, inside of customer acquisition, in, inside of storytelling and building trust with customers because we're building that quickly and rapidly. And it's an easier story to tell, you know, as we're talking to future investors, as we're, you know, talking to retailers down the, down the road, our customer acquisition costs for retailers get to be a lot lower once we say we've got 10,000 eyeballs you know, who would see it your seems store like a really big challenge though. And I, I'm not, not to put you on the spot, but I'm yeah. in my mind going, okay, if I didn't know you and I wasn't your friend and, you know, didn't know Mike and I was just somehow stumbled upon goodbye. I was like, oh, this looks cool. This aligns with my values. I'll download it. And I couldn't quickly get what I wanted. I yeah. might lose interest. And so if it's a chicken and egg thing, because you have to have the retailers so that the supply is there of the things or, so, the, right? so to clarify, the retailer side is basically, I guess the best way I could put it is like, we're serving the community we're building, but the active pursuit of retailers is on hold because we have so many retailers. Okay. I can't really Got explain it. how um, it is part of our special sauce, but we oh. use our creativity and our ingenuity to access 
these 183,000 businesses to vet That's them incredible. along our standards to pull in 19 million products. Like we have a huge search engine. They already There's existing. In- That's incredible. Exactly. And that, wow. that is the special sauce of what we've built. And what, what's so cool about it is that we're just passing through right now people mm-hmm. to those businesses to build up our identity as goodbye. And so more as days go on, we're in a bit of the long game you know, with, with some and just trying to introduce our brand. Um, I think we're very heavily focused when it comes to the customer side. So we do not need to focus. We're serving the customers we have. When people decide to download Goodbye or install it or add it to their Chrome browser or visit our search engine that will be available in a couple of weeks, the response is shocking. They are like, holy crap this thing actually works. Like, I know you said it was going to pop up on top of Amazon and Target and Walmart and Macy's and give me better products, but like seeing it in action because no one, there's no comps, you know, nobody's built this before. It is, is a moment. And that word of mouth has been great for us. I will say also what we've noticed is that once we actually, so it takes a lot to get someone past like the you're saying where they think it's just another marketplace, right? Because there's no comps. They're like, oh, do I need to? I'll just follow them, but I'm not going to do it. So it takes a lot to get someone into our world. But once they use it. They never lose them. We never lose them. We've been seeing like, you know, the the just under a thousand active users we have right now, which by the way, we've been live for like four and a half weeks. So we're really proud of those thousand users. Who are who are using the tool? Our numbers are growing steadily. Like we're we're having a, an insane pace, and it's starting to kind of even post gifting season continue on. Yeah. Um, but the people who are using the tool are engaging with it actively. They're engaging with the with the purchasing. We're seeing a really high purchase rate, a, a, a click through rate of eleven percent. So when the tool's popping up, you know, most eleven percent of the time we were our aspiration was two percent. So eleven percent of the time having people click through to purchase something is wild That's amazing. for us. That's so incredible. again, it's the adoption. And so what I said to you earlier before we even started, you know, chatting before we started recording was the important aspect for our business is figuring out now how to take this 19 million product strong, incredible small businesses and introduce them to the world. So how do we introduce yeah. them to the world? We deploy it in different ways. We deploy it via browser extension you know, on, on desktop and eventually on mobile, which will come in a couple months, we deploy it via a mobile search and desktop search, and we'll continue to do that, you know, that's, over that's time. incredible. You started to touch on recruiting a little bit, and yeah. I can tell you, cause I've been doing this for a gajillion years recruiting, um, that I don't know if it's just more than ever, I guess, during the pandemic, people's values shifted around how they go about looking for jobs and what matters. And a big, big, big value, obviously, is joining a company where their values align. And I would imagine that that's going to be incredibly easy for you to draw in talent as people think about like actually being an emission-driven company and changing the world. For so many people, this is going to resonate. What, what do you lead with when you're recruiting and what is your, like, I guess, recruiting strategy? You know, there isn't much of a recruiting strategy right now. And and that's just in like all transparency. I've done a lot of hiring in my life and found it a lot harder than it has been since starting Goodbye. And I think it's exactly, we've had a lot of organic hires and I'm really... <sighs> I'm really appreciative of that. And I'm, I am filled with gratitude 
for the amount of incredible humans we've discovered here. So we have seven employees right now and I genuinely love them all. Um, They'll laugh listening to this, but we are actively building a culture of like vulnerability and growth and not just about like what we're trying to do to help the world, but day to day, just like, I like dancing in the office and laughing. And I want, you know, I want that for our staff. Carrie wants that for our staff. The unlimited holidays, the stuff that we're offering is just a given being two moms. Like we get it. Our entire staff, like half of us are moms and we've been out half the time. Like yeah. half the time we've been working on this or we're home with our kids they're in the background. I know everybody's used to that now, but there's a difference in like the true empathy. understanding yeah, and empathy. And so I will just say that recruitment strategy has not been sound because it's been so organic. People hear about what we're doing. You know, we hired our social impact strategist and like retailer community manager, Sienna, who's this, this wonderful human because we had heard via somebody else that she was in existence and lived in our city. And we couldn't believe it. We had a conversation with her. We just made a role for her. And now she's working to like help us identify like diverse owner identities and how to speak to different identities. And we're, we're actually creating a small business advisory board, which we have about half full right now. And it's just full of unique owner identities, unique small businesses, both brick and mortar and online. Um, And we're really excited to get that together. So the recruiting has not been that thoughtful. It's been thoughtful in the sense of what spots we need to fill. Um, We have an incredible designer. We have diverse identities already built into the seven humans. That's amazing. Are Are you guys in person or are you working remote or combo? We're combo right now. Well, right now, as we do this interview, we're in the middle of what um, Omicron surge. So right now, Carrie and I are in the office and N95s yet still hugging. So it's a little counterintuitive. Right. But uh, but we are in the office like that. And most people are working from home because we're trying to be cautious. But people don't love working from home because we love the energy we have. Of course. So, but previous to Omicron, we were in the office and testing and boosted and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Terry, who um, manages uh, our operations, um, he is out of Boston, though we want to move oh, nice. down here. Well, eventually. this is why I wanted to ask, because there may be people listening um, who would want to work with you. So are you open to hiring people yes. who are in other communities? And are you like kind of geographically agnostic? Or do you want them in voice? It depends on the role. It depends on the role, honestly. Um and I can go further, but I'd say yes, especially for, we have a role that we're po- we posted today actually for a performance marketer. It's a director of performance marketing role. And we, um, we'd love that to be local, um, but that does not have to be local. We, we're looking for kind of a bit of a unicorn and someone who's really excited about our business. So um, we're very open to that being um, pretty much anywhere. Um, or someone yeah. who's like interested in maybe like Boise's been on their list. That's kind of what's with uh, with Terry. He kind of looks at Boise and he's like, well, I don't like Boston winters anymore. Maybe I'll move down to Boise. So That's so funny. Um, I just hung up before yeah. we got on with somebody in Boston. Now it gets negative 20 today. I'm like, that <laughs> sounds horrible. A lot of people are talking about the three Bs out of Seattle. People going to Boise, Bozeman, and Bend, Oregon is like the three places. Um, yeah, Boise is awesome. And We've got a, we've got somebody on our team from Boise who I love 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 and I I'm just really psyched about what you guys are building. Thank um, you. I'm curious what your biggest challenge is right now. Like, what are you losing sleep over besides you know being a mom? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Exactly. That's losing like the sleep. Founder a different type of, mixed, yeah. Mixed with the um, yeah, no Nyquil can help that. Um, 
you know, it's back to what you, you already segued for, for us is I'm not losing sleep over it, but I'm constantly driven by unique ways in which we can acquire customers and storytell around our business that doesn't have a comp. Because like you said, there's so many people shouting at them on Instagram, buy this, buy that, visit this small business, visit that. And there's this level of like, that's all I know. And so to change that behavior, to understand that like, oh, if you install this, this thing will change the behavior for you, you know, or you can visit this, that awareness strategy, the customer, everything that leads to customer acquisition, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, or user acquisition, anybody who's engaging with our search engine, um, that's what is like my creativity gets applied to every day, you know, and, and I'm yeah. constantly sussing out other founders and asking other humans or other people that are engaging with our brand or seeing what we're posting and saying, what can we be doing to be more clear and share what is a complicated story? Like there's no, we're not necessarily a marketplace where, you know, we will eventually be that and we will eventually have that search functionality, but how do you shop very efficiently and quickly in alignment with your own values while still really being focused on getting the thing you need. And that's, I think what, you know, in the storytelling piece that's been really interesting for us is everybody during the pandemic and during all these social justice movements, which have been incredible for humankind, have pushed people to almost silo communities where it's like, you've got a black owned marketplace over here, which is wonderful. And you've got a sustainable marketplace over here, which is wonderful. And you've got all these places, but oftentimes they have like a very small curated group of 25 stores or even a thousand stores. And that's great. But like, I need a wallet for my father-in-law and I want to support my values, but I still need the wallet. And so what we're trying to solve is like kind of a change in the way people see that is that you can still have your product needs, but in the moment that need gets delivered into a search bar, you're delivered quick, efficient search results that feel aligned with your values, whatever those might be. And if you're an activist around sustainability, then you'll sort those results that way. But if you're like me and those values intersect, and you want to like, whenever possible, just support like a women owned, a family owned, a, a small business, a, you know, an API owned business. Like, I don't care as long as it's the shoe I want for my kid. Yeah. Then this is the tool that serves you. And it's hard for people to grasp that yet. And I know over time it's going to blow their minds, but that's it's, it, it already is blowing my mind. The only thing that I have that literally just <laughs> came into my brain was yeah. um, price. Like, well, I get yeah. the same price because sometimes... Yes. You have to, you know, if I, I have a girlfriend who owns a clothing store here and I shop there all the time, not only because she has incredible taste and like literally have my wardrobes from her, but because I want to support my friend in a small, you know, women-owned business. Of course. But then I'm like, okay, I want to make sure that when Nordstrom's taking a markdown on, you know, the Veronica Beard that she is also. Oh my God, I um, love Veronica Beard. Or, you know, as a random example. Or yeah. random example. Yeah. But so sometimes small businesses can't afford to give the same price passing, you know, pass through the same price. So our tool prioritizes your results based on a couple different search criteria. So it does it, the search results automatically, which are getting more and more sophisticated, you know, sort based on our audience type. So I'm not going to go into all the technical details, but we begun goodbye price matching on Walmart. Oh my so gosh, that's amazing. When we started building our tool, we started wanting, we wanted to ensure that when you search something like a Bud Bays on Walmart, that there were options inside of our tool. Now, I can't promise that every search is going to have the exact same price point, but I will tell you, if you look at our reviews, 
I, we just had a recent review that was like someone who bought an armoire on our tool who said they forgot they even installed Goodbye. They went to Amazon. They were going through a bunch of armoires or Wayfair. I can't remember where it was. And our tool popped up and they said, I found 10 small businesses that had a better looking armoire for cheaper on the tool than the one they were looking at with the amount of drawer needs they had. So the use case was like tenfold. Now they're sold forever. And that was That's something amazing. like what the review said. So yeah. I will say that sometimes though, you know, we just did a search result for puffer jackets. You know, we talked about it earlier on, but you know, you go and look at that Amazon jacket that everyone has. I honestly have it, you know, because of the way we've all learned to shop because of big box showing up in your first, you know, three pages of search results, we all look the same. And a lot of people don't like that. Like we're, there's a lot of like us all in the same sweatsuit from Target and us all in the same jacket from Amazon and us all in the same, those Yeezy looking like weird slipper things that everybody wore in the summer. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about because we all wear the same thing. And what the tool does that's so cool is that it just makes you discover. And I go back to the puffer jacket. If you type in puffer jacket into our new search bar in our widget or just search it anywhere and watch our widget pop up. The first 10 results are like a faux leather puffer, a like a rad, like from Girlfriend Collective, there's this really rad, like tan puffer. And some of those, to your point, align with the purchase price that you're looking at immediately. Some of them will be like, you're looking at the exact price and some of them won't. You'll find gorgeous. If you're a high-end shopper, you can find, I found a, a, you know, a puffer in our tool that was probably at the like 750 price point mark, which isn't normally what shows up, but you can find these high-end small businesses that are curating their own brands. They're, they're a brand that's doing beautiful stuff and you're going to look unique in it. And I think that's, what's interesting. So back to the point of start by price, our tool does stuff automatically for you, but there's a, an update coming in a couple of weeks that will also be in mobile search where you can sort by. So it'll do our natural search. Like like sort, native search sort result. That being a, yeah, that might not even you be a value. Not that, not that people want to waste exactly. money, but like for me, it might be more important to support a small exactly. women-owned business. And I don't care if I'm saving the $10. The exactly. And the other thing is, so some people like our, you know, our Gen Z staffers are definitely like sort by price, sort by price. Right. And so that will help them. And then there's other moments in which, you're buying a t-shirt to wear at a pride march and you're like duh i obviously want to support a lgbtqia owned business why wouldn't i you can go into search and you can hit lgbtq and it will resort those to make sure that That's at least if you're going to buy the red t-shirt it's from a business you want to support yeah. so it's really you know the search engine's still learning we're a new search engine but i still it's delivering great results you are just so off to the races morning. i love it i'm yes. literally yes. the minute i get off i'm it's done and done. I'm all over it. It's really yeah, exciting. Keep buying on it. I'm yeah, just we have a lot buying. of I'm in. <laughs> so, so personally, I'm guessing you have zero time to continue to, you know, pursue your own. Like, do you still dance? Like, how do you just keep your creative juices flowing outside of stuff like in the business and and with the kids? You know, I was actually. This is a very timely question that you asked, Shauna. <laughs> I was writing a past? post. Yeah, I, no, I was. No, it's timely because I was writing a vulnerable post to post on LinkedIn because I'm not a great um, upkeeper of like, you know, I'm a founder and I'm sharing on LinkedIn and I know I need to do more of that. It's hard community. to do. You're you're so good as the face, like you should be, because you're so oh, articulate. You. You're so good on your feet. You're so polished. It's hard to do, but. It's so hard. You're an influencer. Like, yeah, oh, you gotta double down you. on double down on that. 
Oh, I appreciate that. I, I try just so I find it very awkward, but it I, will, is awkward. I will, I get it. I will over time figure out how to do it via other founders, but I share because I was preparing this vulnerable post about my desire to build community, my desire to be active and network and to be creative and to keep exploring things outside of my business that inspire my business. But I'm tired. You have no time. I'm tired. Yeah. I've got two tiny kids. Yeah. And you know, my energy at work is very focused and very efficient. And I'm here for my team. But I do feel a little drained and I'm I'm looking forward to as my kids get a little older. Yeah. And my time becomes a little bit less um run around and clean the house and yeah. put the light bulb in that we need yeah. to when we do to actually be able to focus on myself. Yeah. Like I miss dancing. When you say it, it makes me want to cry because I, I want to teach now a I get here. it. But you know what there's there's it. Uh, not to be like old lady, I'm older than you, but like the, the advice part is like, there are seasons and you will look back and be like, that was the season of like, holy shit, I can't believe I did that. I had, you'll look back and be like, I don't, that wasn't even exactly. me. Like, how did that happen? I had these two little kids. I started a business in a pandemic with somebody that I kind of just was getting to know. Like the yeah. whole thing is incredible, but this is just that season. It's so funny. And you have you your whole that. life for dancing and for that. all these other things. I really appreciate hearing that. And it's something I tell myself all the time. There's, I came across this article once and I wish I could quote where it was from, but it's really stuck with me that, you know, it was like, so the headline was something like, stop focusing on work-life balance and focus on work-life fulfillment. And what they meant about that was that you could be fulfilled, that it, when you think about balance, you think about a weight that has to be even all the time. And so in your mind, especially as a woman, as a mom, as a, as a founder, as all these things, you're constantly trying to keep them in balance versus thinking about it as like, I can be really fulfilled by my work in this one moment. And my kids can, can be taking, you know, sitting a little by the wayside right now. I'm obviously still there for them, but there's, there's stuff I'm focusing yeah. on at work, but then know that like that might shift in a moment. And whether it's for a week, or for an hour or for days that that fulfillment can be different things in different moments and not have to be in balance. Yes. It's like changed me reading that article because yes. I was like, well, I or not to look at that, pressure. that balance, that scaled balance of as time balance, because exactly. it's about impact balance. Like if you're, if you're, if this is a good use of your time, cause you're hopefully hitting a lot of people listening, then this is a good hour spent. And if it was like, otherwise I'm going to just throw my kid in the back of this car to run errands to be like, well, I was a good mom because I was like with my kid, but I wasn't present, you yeah. know, or moms who are like, well, I need to volunteer all the time, but the kids don't even know that you're volunteering. Like being with the exactly. kid, mm -hmm. I, I could talk about this subject forever. And maybe it's because of my own yeah. mommy guilt as a full-time working mom, but um, I know that when the Jewish guilt I, I, I meets really the money guilt, it's like explosion. I know. <laughs> like, so what's your, what's your ultimate fuel? What fuels you as we like, um, come to a close of this awesome conversation? Um, what fuels me is conversations with other people, other women, other people. I love this. Like my, like listening, hearing, talking with other people, learning about new things, um, is a huge fuel for me. Um, you know, uh, hosting parties, having friends over, learning about people. I actually, that's hard with children. And so yeah. I miss that part of yeah. life. You know, I was always the like, let's be creative and come up with a theme thing we're going to do today. Just sort of building. Um, Send me your ideas. Media. I'm old and I can do it. My kids oh, are, my kids are self-reliant self now. I'll take I have all a million. ideas. I love okay, it. Okay. So I'll do that. So that, that fuels me is like, I'm, I'm fueled by being around people. My husband would joke. He's going to listen to this and be like, I don't like being alone. It's a thing. I'm we're like, we're like being... kindred spirits. You're so, I, found, <laughs> I feel like I'm interviewing me right now because if my nice. husband was listening. He'd be like, wait, is that you? That's 100% me. Yeah, I like, so I love to be around people. We're extroverts. 
We get energy. And then the from other it. thing, which I'm, I think you're going to also align with, which what fuels me, and this is going to be the most shallow thing ever to say, but it's what ultimately fueled me to start this business is I love shopping. Oh, yeah. I love fashion. I love that I you love, know that I love that. <laughs> yeah, I just know. I just know. I have a feeling. You know, you're shopper people. Yeah, but I just love, love shopping and going, like, honestly, traveling and going into small businesses and chatting Me with too. owners and buying something cool and making them feel good that I think about later, whether it's a piece of art or a new jacket. Yes. I love the memories that are in the things we buy. And that sounds a little materialistic and not sustainable, but I just love shopping. And so I get that little jolt and getting it right now. You're making me want to shop. I'm going to download my <laughs> goodbye. I'm all over Good. it. And Good. thank you so much. It's so much fun. Of course. Thank you for having me, Shauna. This was yes. a great combo. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.